Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in optometry. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Hey there, ModPod listeners. We have a great episode for you this month, so let's just jump right in. We have two articles that offer insights and one that shares one of your colleagues' experiences in a way that just may make you consider following suit. Well, let's get into it with our first informative piece from Brianna Rue, owner of West Broward Eye Care in Tamarack, Florida, and co-founder of Dr. Contact Lens. Dr. Rue explains how growing your practice is easier than you think. The optometric profession is rife with options. Yet many of our colleagues act as though we're wandering in a barren desert. Many tend to believe that all of the opportunities have been squeezed out by big shop rivals, monolith distributors, and direct-to-patient retail platforms. Competition has created a scarcity mindset, one that optometrists must change. Optometrists need to shift their outlook on where to look for practice growth opportunities. And that starts with recognizing that an abundance of opportunity exists in our practices with the patients we already have, and by taking care of them in a way that meets their needs as both patients and consumers. Nowhere is this more true than with contact lens sales. Imagine increasing your revenue by $60,000 without having to acquire one single new patient. It starts with the thinking differently about the patients you already have. Take a step back. We all want growing practices. The more patients you see, the greater your revenue. But consider your patient acquisition cost. You spend money on research for marketing, advertising, search engine optimization for your locale, social media management engagement, and maybe even direct marketing campaigns. The dollars and work add up. Imagine a different scenario, growing your practice by 15% simply by selling contact lenses to the patients you already see. I hear it time and time again that contact lenses are not profitable. That couldn't be further from the truth. It's easy to gripe about online retailers and feel like we can't do much about it, but in our profession, it has become commonplace for contact lens scripts to walk. It's easy to dismiss these walking scripts as just one script, but it's not just one. Patients who walk out of your door collectively when just one patient walks out from each of the 35,000 plus optometric practices in our nation, we give up our power to online retailers. As optometrists, when we take back the walking scripts, we can disrupt the online retailers who disrupted our industry in the first place. And it's simple to do. We need to view our patients as more than simply patients. They are also consumers and should be treated as such. We are fortunate that in our business, new and existing patients call our offices because they want our services. We don't have to hunt for new business. Take advantage of this gift and do business with the patients in the practice that are there, and the rest will come. When doing business with your existing patients, considering the following points. Think like a consumer. Patients are consumers, and as consumers in today's society, they expect to do business with you digitally. They also expect to be served on their time with ease and convenience. While the COVID-19 lockdown pushed every single one of us to order everything from takeout to groceries to purchases as significant as cars, online, most patients are not yet able 
to digitally order contact lenses from their optometrist's office when they want to. And I'm still confused by this. Many of us weren't prepared for this shift during the pandemic, but now is the time to implement strategies for the future of your practice. It starts with thinking like a consumer and adding on technology that really is a must have, not a nice to have. We have to remove the friction. The more friction we create in our practices for patients to do business with us, the more patients will resist doing business with us now and into the future. And the more they will bolt for the monolithic online retailers and big box stores. It's easier to remove that friction than you think. Ask yourself, what makes me wanna do business with other businesses? Your answer likely has to do with either service, convenience, or both. Are we listening and making changes to adopt new strategies that may be painful in the beginning, but pay us dividends in the future? Did you know that 80% of patients prefer to order their contact lenses through text messages, 15% prefer ordering through email, and only 5% order through their doctor's website? As more patients are being fit with daily disposable contact lenses, particularly premium daily disposable lenses, annual supply rates are dropping. It is more important than ever to have an automated reordering system as a direct extension of your practice that allows patients access to their script with one click and to order or reorder whenever they see fit. And 35 to 40% of contact lens orders happen between the hours of 6 p.m. and 9 a.m. when most of our offices are closed. Or another core ordering time is between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m when we are often closed for staff trainings or lunch or down staff members. If your practice is not accessible when your patients wanna do business with you, your patients simply will go elsewhere. To remove friction means to implement technology that serves your patients and their need for convenience. This is where we can compete head to head with online retailers. Today's technology empowers even the smallest practice to be the one-stop shift to home option for patients. Below are three ways we can use this technology to beat the online retailers at their own game. Number one, price. We don't have to give deep discounts to win our patients' business. We can maximize their vision plan benefits and in-office rebates and beat online retailers at any amount of price. Number two, speed. Patients can order their lenses on the spot and get them delivered much quicker this way and directly to their homes. Number three, Customer service, which is where we all shine. We are building quality relationships with our patients through our regular in-person interactions. An estimated 15 million patients order their contact lenses from an online retailer without them having to do a single eye exam. As the optometrist performing the majority of these exams, it's easy to see why one patient matters and how quickly that adds up. It also shows me that we're doing all of the work but yet not reaping any of the rewards. We have to scale our practices. Many optometrists are specializing their practices, whether it be to focus on myopia management, dry eye, aesthetics, vision therapy, or medical optometry. These specialties serve contact lens patients, and we are able to add these services easily, as most of these patients come in as a contact lens patient. By giving up on the sale of contact lenses, you not only give up on your patient, but also on the future opportunities that drive other aspects of patient care and your specialty practice. 
by thinking contact lens patients are not valuable, you may be losing out on many referrals and family members of your 30 to 40 year old patient segment, which you have to keep healthy in order to have a growing business. Scaling your practice through the lifetime purchasing power of patients starts with understanding and leveraging your patient data, specifically their contact lens data, what your patients order and when they order it. It gives you knowledge and insight that allows you to connect to the patient's health to their contact lens order. Take that a step further and act on that information. And it is a win-win for your patients and your practice. For example, implementing a contact lens ordering and marketing platform will give you visibility into your patient's ordering behavior, including when they are due to reorder or return for their annual visit. This technology can send automated text reminders with a one-click option to reorder. You can also remind patients with one click when they're due for their annual visit, so you can reassess their eye health and prescription. With technology, you keep the prescription tied to their health, and their health is tied to you. Stop here and think about what this could mean for your practice five years from now. How does, again, an extra $60,000 in your pocket sound? All it takes is seeing 15 patients a day, five days a week, 50 weeks a year, with a capture rate of 80%. When patients leave our practices to purchase their lenses elsewhere, it is not always the price that has them leaving. A lot of the time, the need for convenience has them going elsewhere. Patients want to be sold to. They are there for a service and then something to give them their best vision possible. We are their guides to their visual health and that starts with selling what we prescribe. We've got to get our staff on board. Assess the bandwidth of your practice. We need to help our staff do better things with their time. No one likes to do or should be doing mundane tasks, such as checking on contact lens orders or sending out constant reminders to patients that their lenses are ready for pickup or going to pick up that order and figuring out who it belongs to, slapping a right left sticker on it, and then calling the patient 30 times. Get your staff focused on the patients who are in front of them, which is also increasing your per patient revenue. It's not about seeing more patients, but about maximizing every patient experience to better serve that patient and their individual vision needs. When you make contact lens orders a one-step process, your practice becomes more efficient. However, transitioning to a new process isn't always easy. There is a learning curve and that's okay. It's important to always be in a state of learning with your practice because that's how you better serve your patients. We have the honor of providing optimal vision to our patients every day. It's time we cared for the vision we have for our practices by implementing processes that make it easier to capture those walking scripts and fully take care of our patients by connecting their prescription back to our practice. Look, the technology has to work at the end of the day, but it comes to a process and consulting that's going to get your practice to the next level so you can better take care of your patients. Are you inspired to make every contact lens sale count? Think back to the maximum quality over quantity. Maximize each patient experience rather than trying to see more patients. Next up, Christopher Borgman of Advanced Care Ocular Disease Service at Southern College of Optometry in Memphis, Tennessee has an OCT magic trip to share right after this short break. Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. 
BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in optometry. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. We're back and ready to hear all about Dr. Borgman's magic trick. Over the past several years or so, I've been uh, actually very interested in using OCT technology to assess ocular torsion in neurooptometric conditions, specifically to aid in the diagnosis of trochlear nerve palsies and skew deviations. Uh, multiple studies have shown that the most common cause of vertical diplopia to be some form of cranial nerve 4 or a trochlear nerve palsy. However, there are other important neurooptometric conditions that can also cause vertical diplopia and can mimic a cranial nerve 4 palsy on the Parks Bilchowski uh, three step test. Um, these include things like skew deviation, thyroid eye disease, or myasthenia gravis uh, in general. Therefore, you know, accurately identifying these abnormal torsion um, positions of the eye can mean the difference between a correct and an incorrect diagnosis in some cases. So again, over the last few years, I've spent considerable amount of time, probably an embarrassing amount of time if I had to put a, a number to it, but I've spent a considerable amount of professional time uh, studying the ocular torsion in these types of neurooptometric uh, presentations. Uh, using the trick in this particular article described below, uh, I feel like I've been able to diagnose acquired cranial nerve 4 palsies in distinct cases before I've ever even stepped foot into the examination room, which is a pretty cool thing, I think. As we all know, uh, cranial nerve 4 innervates the superior oblique muscles in primary gaze. The primary and secondary functions of the superior oblique muscle are in cyclotorsion and depression, respectively. So in a patient with unilateral cranial nerve 4 palsy, the involved eye is expected to have an increased excyclorotation or excyclotorsion, as well as a hyperdeviation in that same eye. In cranial nerve 4 palsies, the hyperdeviation typically will worsen in contralateral gaze and ipsilateral head tilt, uh, things that are borne out on the parks uh, three-step test. You know, given that the most common cause of hyperdeviation is some form of cranial nerve 4 weakness, I specifically uh, look for the torsion on the OCT scans and look for the eye with the most excyclotorsion. At this point, uh, prior to actually performing the examination or even stepping foot in the room, I make an educated guess that this eye, meaning the uh, eye with the most excyclorotation, will most likely be the hyperdeviated eye. Then I go into the exam room and perform either a cover test or a single Maddox rod test uh, to prove that the eye is in fact hyperdeviated like I suspected. If a vertical deviation is present, I follow up with the Parks-Bielchowski three-step test, uh, the double Maddox rod test to look for torsion, and the upright supine test uh, to confirm other signs of underlying neurooptometric findings, uh, specifically uh, skew deviation. If the eye with the increased excyclotorsion is the higher eye, then cranial nerve 4 is the most likely diagnosis, uh, palsy of cranial nerve 4. 
However, if the eye with the increased excyclotorsion is the lower eye, then I go down the skew deviation route as a differential diagnosis. I do feel that it's important to remind the reader and the listener right now uh, to use this quote unquote magic trick within the context of your clinical exam findings. Just because there is more excyclotorsion than expected on the OCT scans does not at all guarantee uh, that the patient has a cranial nerve four palsy or even any other neurooptometric issue. So the context of the exam is obviously super important. Uh, for example, there is a fairly large range of normal excyclotorsion values in normal patients. Generally, uh, the studies that I have show a range of uh, about 3.8 degrees excyclotorsion to around 9.4 degrees with an average of around 6.6 .6 degrees. And this was uh, performed on spectralis OCT, for example. Another study uh, that also looked at normal ocular torsion values with OCT showed a, a broader range of normal torsion, but similar average torsion that we just outlined. In this particular study, it was around uh, 2.5 degrees of in-cyclorotation to as much as 17.5 degrees of ex-cyclorotation, and again, the average being approximately 6.7 degrees. And then a third study, uh, more recently, compared torsion in healthy controls uh, versus cranial nerve 4 palsies with the OCT and found that torsion in cranial nerve palsies ranged in general from 7.7 degrees excyclotorsion to 14.9 degrees excyclorotation with an average of around 11.3 degrees. Uh, this particular study also found that the normal ranges of ocular torsion uh, meaning people without a cranial nerve for palsy, were in a tighter range between uh, 4.3 degrees of excyclorotation to 8.5 degrees of excyclorotation, also with an average of around 6.4 uh, degrees of excyclorotation. So if we use these three studies as a general foundation, which I typically do in clinic, I do, I've developed this general guideline for assessing ocular torsion on the OCT. So I generally will use an average torsion of healthy patients. Uh, I would expect that to be around 6.5 degrees of excyclorotation. And the average torsion of patients with a cranial nerve 4 palsy is around 11.5 degrees of excyclorotation. Again, that is on uh, an OCT platform for the most part. In addition, head position could give the false impression of abnormal ocular torsion. So for example, if the patient's head is not perfectly vertical while obtaining their OCT scans, then the tilted position of the head might actually induce certain amounts of ocular torsion that might mimic these neurooptometric disorders, uh, leading maybe to some uh, unneeded testing uh, or perhaps uh, scaring the patient that they have something that they might not. Therefore, proper patient instruction and technician assurance that the patient keeps their head in a normal vertical position is strictly imperative to assess ocular torsion accurately when using these uh, techniques that I've outlined in this article. Other findings to consider, uh, although one should be wary of making diagnoses based on this uh, you know, magic trick alone, if there's a hyperdeviation in the eye with the increased amount of excyclotorsion found on the OCT, 
The Parks-Bilchowski three-step test confirms superior oblique involvement, meaning the hyperdeviated eye worsens in contralateral gaze and ipsilateral head tilt. Um, then the overall extraocular muscle pattern shows uh, inferior oblique overaction upon extraocular muscle testing and the upright supine test is negative, then we can take these multiple findings in total together and use them in context, which would indeed strongly suggest a cranial nerve four palsy. It does certainly bear repeating with this. We need to always interpret ocular torsion in the context of other clinical findings. But still, ocular torsion observation can be a strong clue to heighten your suspicion that additional clinical testing uh, may be necessary. As far as educational benefits, um, certainly I know that I work here at SEO in Memphis and I work with students every day. And in regards to this trick, uh, you know, to my students, this process does appear to work like magic, especially when I predict what I would find or will find on these patients before I examine the patient's eyes, meaning I predict before I ever step foot in the room to see the patient. Because my students inevitably are, are smart and curious and very motivated, they often ask me how I did it almost immediately as I pull off this trick. Uh, being a relatively big jokester, uh, I tell them it's magic uh, before I walk into the room uh, to perform cover testing and then I show them the hyperdeviation that they might have overlooked. And then I finish up the first half of the overall exam and then I tell them really how it's done and how I actually made that decision or that guess while the patient's eyes are dilating. This delay, meaning making them think about it through dilation, uh, this delay in answering my students uh, encourages them to critically think about the patient's presentation while I confirm my suspicions before I actually give them the correct answer. You know, I've lectured on this topic in several venues uh, throughout the U.S. and multiple, you know, state associations. And each time I share this trick and these, you know, stories that I, that I kind of, these tricks I pull on my students, I often get excellent questions and even a few chuckles from my colleagues that sit out there uh, listening to my lectures. So if the ocular torsion is abnormal, meaning if you note the presence of ab abnormal torsion with your visual inspection of OCT scans, then I think you need to perform some kind of vertical posture testing, meaning a cover test or a single Maddox rod test is a good start. And this is used to confirm what you're seeing. You might be surprised by how many people in your chairs have asymptomatic or subtle symptomatic cranial nerve palsies. If patients are asymptomatic, treatment will most likely only require simple observation, but further treatment may be necessary in some symptomatic cases which may include occlusion, prism, vision therapy, and even possibly surgery or any combination of those. What if you uncover an acute or chronic finding that affects the patient's ocular or systemic health in some manner? For example, using the outline trick above, I recently was able to diagnose a completely asymptomatic skew deviation and neuroimaging resulted in finding a cerebellar stroke that the patient never knew he had. By simply paying attention to the torsion of his OCT scans for his chronic glaucoma diagnosis, we identified a neurologic issue that needed to be addressed.
And remember, this simple finding might have a big effect. I realize that the ocular torsion trick I've described here is not novel, nor is it inherently difficult to identify. But oftentimes in clinic, I find uh, that there are clues all around us that we can overlook as practitioners. Perhaps the next time you look at an OCT scan from a glaucoma patient, you will take care to glance for asymmetric or abnormal ocular torsion, which may even lead to uncovering a serious neurological condition. In the end, I hope this article uh, helps raise your awareness of looking for abnormal torsion in your OCT patients moving forward. And I hope that it further enhances the high quality of care you already provide to all of your patients. As you know, a simple finding can have a big effect. So Dr. Borgman's magic trick could really be useful. Will you work it into your examinations as appropriate? Well, this brings us to the final portion of this month's episode, and you're in for a treat, because you're going to hear all about volunteering in a community eye clinic, directly from someone who has personally donated her own time for several years. Here's Safi Mighty, an ocular surface disease clinical research associate at Perman Eye Institute in Seattle, Washington. In October 2014, Seattle Center and its Seattle Center Foundation partnered with Remote Area Medical, RAM, to host its first community clinic, where 1,500 volunteers provided nearly $2.4 million in free dental vision and medical care to roughly 3,400 individuals. It typically takes place once a year for four consecutive days, usually a Thursday through a Sunday, with setup and teardown taking place a few days before and after. Many of the patients served do have health insurance, but they may not have vision or dental coverage, or they may otherwise just have poor coverage or difficulty accessing quality care in general. And the Seattle King County Clinic doesn't require identification or proof of citizenship, but it does provide many interpreters and interpretation technology to serve any non-English speakers. And all are welcome, regardless of age, race, ethnicity, income level, or housing situation. The clinic partners with a local organization called Project Access Northwest, which helps facilitate referrals for additional care to treat conditions like cataracts or glaucoma and retinal disease using relationships we have set up with Kaiser Permanente and the University of Washington Medical Center. The main leadership of the clinic consists of about five non-healthcare providers who work for the Seattle Center Foundation. Over the years, they have connected with many volunteer healthcare professionals and other general support volunteers to fill the ranks of the clinic leadership. You know, a free health clinic is a huge logistical effort requiring many different groups of people. We have an entire volunteer IT department, we have equipment techs, interpreters, volunteers in every specialty, including providers, techs, nurses, and more, and many, many general volunteers to help with tasks like setup and escorting. There are over a thousand volunteers every year. The clinic has an excellent registration informational website for both volunteers and patients that has very consistent messaging and branding. And all of this is due to the incredible brain and organizational talent of our director, Julia Colson, who works for the Seattle Center Foundation and her awesome team. In addition to those employees, the volunteers in general also self-market the clinic quite a, um, quite a bit using their own social media and flyers. 
And the event is also often written up in local newspapers and newscasts and advertised on its own social media, um, which is at Seattle King County Clinic. The 2020 Seattle King County Clinic took place in February 2020, just one month before the World Health Organization declared a global pandemic. And then the 2021 clinic was canceled because the COVID-19 pandemic was still ongoing. Finally, last year in 2022, because a facility large enough to accommodate the full clinic, including medical, dental, and vision, was not available, it was instead decided to host just a smaller vision-only clinic with a plan to host a full clinic the following spring. So in October 2022, 2.5 years after the previous clinic was held, 1,058 volunteers and a couple awesome therapy dogs provided over $600,000 in vision care to over 1,000 patients with the help of 45 different organizations contributing to the project. A total of 53 ophthalmologists, 50 optometrists, 52 opticians, and 74 technicians and assistants donated their time to the clinic to perform 983 eye exams, dispense 515 bifocals, 531 single vision glasses, and 54 pairs of readers. In the vision clinic, we provide comprehensive eye exams, including intake, visual acuity, confrontation testing, IOP measurement, refraction, and ocular health examination, including dilation and OCT if needed. We have the ability to write prescriptions for medication if warranted. Um, there is an on-site pharmacy that can dispense certain things um, in-house. And we also have a full optical from which we can order one pair of single vision or bifocal glasses, or two if necessary, you know, say for someone with prism or really high prescription that we think would benefit from a second pair. And these prescriptions are sent to a lab and dispensed at a separate event about one month later. Or if people are unable to come to the in-person dispensing event, we will mail the glasses to an address that they have previously provided. We also give patients a copy of their eyeglass prescription so that they can feel free to take them elsewhere and get a second pair of glasses or to just have for their own personal record. And they do also have access to their general medical records from the clinic, which are retained and accessible to patients at any time via the website. And we have many patients who return each year for their annual eye exams. You know, we're Seattle King County Clinic. We are their eye doctors that they see every year. We unfortunately do not have the capacity to fit or dispense any contact lenses or perform any surgical procedures, but we are able to refer patients to other providers in the community who can provide these services through Project Access Northwest. Patients are incredibly grateful and volunteers love working at the clinic because we can just simply take care of patients without having to worry about many of the frustrations of typical practice, like dealing with insurance, billing, costs. You know, many say that they wish the American health system wasn't so bad that it was necessary to have to put on clinics like this. But until it improves, we will all continue to return as volunteers for as long as we are needed. It's not unusual for patients to cry at the dispensing event when they put on their new glasses. And we are incredibly lucky to have excellent quality donated frames that allow patients to pick from really awesome fashionable options rather than being left sorting through, you know, the box of cheap out of style frames typical of many low income clinics. 
you know, I recall a, spe a patient specifically saying the reason why she liked to come to Seattle King County Clinic was because of how great our selections of frames are. So I personally have moved from being just a regular OD volunteer at my first event in 2017 into a leadership role uh, first as an assistant vision director in 2022 to now being one of the main vision directors where I now work alongside three certified techs, two opticians, and one ophthalmologist to make up our main leadership team. And I believe it, it really is clinics like ours where the skills we have as ODs can shine. You know, we help people with their eye problems every day in our normal clinics, but we have the ability to help thousands more who really truly need it by participating in volunteer clinics. I have refracted kids who were minus six, who had been going without glasses for the last year, you know, struggling through school, not being able to see. We see patients with prescriptions, you know, for minus 20 to things like plus 17 ads, you know, people with real vision issues, including conditions like retinal detachments, which we are able to see in our um, health exam portion of the eye exam. And we are able, luckily, to refer those patients that day to retinal specialists. Because of the pandemic, we have had even more patients who have delayed or denied themselves medical or eye care now for years. Many people who visited our 2022 clinic were in desperate need of new glasses. And by volunteering in this capacity, you're able to see real tangible improvements in patients' quality of life, you know, just by performing eye exams and sensing glasses. And I personally also like not having to deal with annoyance of insurance, billing, you know, I don't want to have to deal with determining the cost of frames and lenses, exams, copays, all of that stuff. I love just being able to go in, take care of, you know, each patient one at a time, be able to just listen to them, listen to their complaint, take care of them with no strings attached. It's, it's very fulfilling. And once you volunteer once, you know, I find many people tend to come back year and year again because it's such a great experience. You know, being able to work with so many other like-minded volunteers is wonderful. And many of them have become my true friends over the years. It, it's a real joy to be surrounded by people with the same mindset, you know, to get things done, to help people, to help as many people as we can. One patient mentioned that they they like coming to our clinic because they know that the volunteers here, they're here because they want to be, you know, not because they have to be. That when you come here, they treat you like you are a person, you know, and it makes you it makes you feel so bad about like how are these people feeling when they're getting care elsewhere out in the normal healthcare system. But to be able to say, hey, yes, I am here and I want to take care of you and help you and they can sense that you really want to, you know, that's really what community is all about. So I would encourage all ODs to volunteer their eye care skills in some capacity. I bet every one of us put down some version of wanting to help people see on our optometry school applications. And this is a way to do that. We have real specialized knowledge and skill sets that not everyone has, you know, not everyone can refract, particularly refract very complicated patients or diagnose and treat eye conditions. You know, we have the capacity to do those things and provide care to people that they don't currently have access to. It's, 
hard. You know, it's basically impossible to live your life successfully and work and do anything if you can't see clearly. And this is a way for us to help the people in our community improve the quality of life for everyone. You know, it's a win-win situation, honestly. Volunteers can feel good about helping people and patients are able to get great quality care from knowledgeable providers and other volunteers and use, the, you know, that gift to improve their own lives outside. It's also a nice reminder, you know, for those of us that are maybe more medically oriented ODs that refraction is still important and that glasses with a proper prescription can be truly life-changing for patients. So our most recent clinic took place April 27th through 30th of 2023, with next, year, next year's clinic um, planned to be held in early 2024, and we are always looking for more volunteers. So if you are, you know, in the Seattle area and interested in getting involved in Seattle King County Clinic or Uplift Northwest, another weekly volunteer clinic I coordinate in the Belltown neighborhood of Seattle, please email me. My email is sathi.mighty at gmail.com. That's S-A-T-H-I dot M-A-I-T-I at gmail.com. And if you're not in Seattle and you're looking for volunteer opportunities, consider looking up organizations like the Special Olympics or VOSH, Volunteer Optometric Services of Humanity. There's likely an opportunity in your area to help those in your community. If you didn't already know it before you heard Dr. Mighty recount her experience, volunteering your time and experience means more than you know. Of course, there are many ways and different degrees to which you can volunteer and help others, but hopefully you give back in some way. It helps the world go around a lot easier. Go online to modernod.com and find this article in the May-June online TOC to check out the photos and infographic that go along with the story. That's a wrap on our July episode. We hope you come back to see what we have in store for you next month. And while you wait for that episode to come out, be sure to follow Modern Optometry on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Until next time, be well.